0: And I remember, as soon as I could learn to write a particular character, I could then recognize it anywhere in any form.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Pudua. So last week, Andrew, you and I had a conversation primarily about teaching writing to English language learners, and we kind of kicked off this idea as a result of all the questions that came in from our online writing conference, and there's lots of links in last week's show notes, so we're not going to go back into that. I love the story that you shared at the end of that episode about how you learned Japanese by memorizing Jack and the Beanstalk and... You're going to have to go back, listener, and listen to that episode so you can hear Andrew reciting his little bit of Japanese of Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> you didn't. You never get very far, though, Andrew. It's been a long it's time. It's been a long time. <laughs> so we, you were using the listening, speaking, I'm assuming, reading and writing as mm-hmm. your kind of your outline because listening, speaking, reading, writing, that's right. what we're all about here yeah. at IUW. The arts of language. Exactly.
0: And you had some questions, but you never got around to actually using them.
1: I never really used the questions because they're kind of all grouped together. So I'm going to go ahead and just ask you to continue this conversation, picking up with reading and how that can actually help with acquiring English language. And then we'll go back and see which questions you didn't answer yet. Ah, How about that?
0: Okay. Well, it's very difficult, I think to be an older learner of a language Mm -hmm. and not really want to understand it. You know, young children, two, three, four, or five years old, they're born into a world they don't understand most of what they hear, and that doesn't bother them. Nope. They can just float around, and then one day they understand, and they get a new word, and they try it out, and and people are correcting them. And And
1: sometimes only their parents understand. So my son sent me a little video of his daughter— helping him make pizza dough. Oh, of and, course. And she said something in the middle and about – because she, w- she was pressing the button on his bread maker. It was my bread maker that he uses now to make his own pizza dough, just the dope pizza part. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in the middle of her whole thing about which number to put it to, she – totally got distracted by something out there and i had no idea what she said so i had to ask my son what did she just say and he said oh electricity no no <laughs> you know it's like wouldn't have gotten that but yeah she didn't care she well, didn't care if we didn't understand it
0: so when we come to it later right we we want to learn faster we don't you know sometimes these language programs that you know learn language like a baby i mean honestly <laughs> would you want to do that to spend you know 5 years being totally confused and <laughs> unable to know what you're doing no actually we would like we we would like to be able to use our intellect mm-hmm. to understand what we're doing mm-hmm. and speed up the whole process right so that's why i think when we you know when we start to learn this language we want that multisensory we want to be able to hear it and see it mm-hmm. if we just hear it but don't see it it's not going to get stored as as clearly hmm. or or in, it won't be stored in our mind in that same organized way hmm. of course if we just see it and we don't hear it then that's not going to help at all in terms of the fluency right so uh, it's it's kind of a constant reinforcement uh, loop. Some languages uh, are very consistent and relatively easy phonetically, right? Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of people who struggle with Spanish spelling mm-hmm. because once you learn it, it's pretty much always the same. Mm-hmm. English is notably not so nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, English has some really nasty aspects of mixing together uh, Greek and Latin and Anglo-Saxon and French and who knows what Mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. So that's harder. Then there's some languages that, you know, use ideographs, Mm -hmm. like Chinese. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a whole different world. But uh, I mentioned last week that as I was living in Japan and starting to try to learn things, I knew how to say one thing when I got off the airplane. I had studied the whole flight over with Berlitz. And I could say one thing with perfect fluency. Tobacco wa doko desu ka?
1: Where's the tobacco? Yeah,
0: which is completely useless because I don't (laughs) need tobacco. But but it was the only thing I could say. And so I was, you know, swirling around in this language. And I realized very quickly that if I was going to be able to organize the auditory, I needed to be able to read it. Mm -hmm. And Japanese, as you know, has... Well, it has two different phonetic alphabets. Uh, fortunately, the sounds are the same, but the symbols are different. And then it uses the Chinese characters mm-hmm. as well. And then it will sometimes mix all three together uh, in one thing. So,
1: and sometimes they use what they call Romanji. which oh, is, and they'll
0: use Roman, which is our letters. our alphabet. Yeah. yeah, they'll use a. For, for an English word that mm-hmm. just uh, wouldn't go phonetically <laughs> very well. Yeah. And of course, most all Japanese people do study English in school, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes for, you know, eight, ten years. But what I realized is I needed that visual organization to help organize the auditory mm, part. Okay. And uh, so I did, and I, I started out, like I said, just like a first grader, and I learned to read and write those. And the and really interesting thing, and I've mentioned this before, um, because there was some research I came across in my talk, uh, Paper and Pen, What the Research Says, about children who are just shown letters as opposed to children who are encouraged to copy yes. letters. The ones who copy, not only does it activate more of their brain, they're able then to recognize those letters more quickly. So if you just show, this is one of my fears about screen-based, primarily screen-based or screen-based only reading programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas in copying letters and words, you're much more able to recognize them. This was certainly true for me. And you know how you walk around, you see all the different logos and different stylized printing styles for for signs. Same thing in every country, I think. Mm-hmm. And I remember as soon as I could learn to write a particular character, I could then recognize it anywhere in any form, even a stylized odd one, not just the carefully printed ones in the textbooks, but mm-hmm. I could I could recognize it because it, it was ownership. So, uh, you know, I would say that that has huge application because it's going to help the reading. So again, just like the listening and speaking are so interconnected i think the reading and the writing are very interconnected mm-hmm. as well we we know that english is difficult grammatically mm-hmm. because of all the odd things that we do and i'm sure other languages are equally or more complex but our use of number agreement mm-hmm. sometimes just doesn't make sense right you know so You would think, well, if it's singular there, it should be singular here. But no, it's always the opposite, except Mm -hmm. under this odd circumstance Mm -hmm. when you are using these pronouns. So I would encourage people to just copy Mm -hmm. stuff, uh, just like we talk about uh, the value of kids copying from good quality, copying poetry. Mrs. Ingham would have them copy poetry, or she'd have them memorize poetry and then write down the poetry they'd memorized.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've talked about, you know, in the 1800s, kids, basically, that's how you learn to write. They would have copy books, mm-hmm. and they would have a proverb or an aphorism or a line of poetry, and the child would, would copy that. And so what's that doing? Well, it's not just handwriting. It's also uh, giving model, a model of a grammatically correct structure one that you probably couldn't create on your own, uh, so it's building that database. And then, of course, the question is, you know, how do you move from strict copywork into your world of being able to compose? And uh, that's where I think we have the best possible approach right. for English language learners. Right. Right. And, of course, you know, way early in the day, so long ago, it was before I met you, you know. <laughs> I, I had a chance to work with that school district in mm-hmm. Washington that I mentioned.
1: Last week. The he mentioned last week. I mentioned you, last week. You didn't week. work there last week. No, you no, I mentioned it last,
0: week. last podcast. But the people who were on the front lines working with these kids for whom English was their second language and, mm-hmm. and sometimes kind of low-literacy homes, mm-hmm. sure. migrant, farm worker population, et cetera, they were the ones who were most excited about Keyword Outline.
2: Ah, oh, yes.
0: Um, another group I worked with, actually I've worked with several school districts in Alaska, mm-hmm. and they have a similar kind of situation mm-hmm. with low literacy uh, village populations. Mm-hmm. Kids, you know, their primary language is maybe Yup'ik or Tupik or something, and they, they get a lot of their English from television and mm-hmm. then from other people who try to speak English. Right. They love this keyword outline thing up there, not only because—and and this is, again, demonstrating the relationship between reading and writing—not only because they could see an improvement in the composition, the vocabulary use, the grammar. I mean, it was going from a correct pattern into a pattern that was more likely to be correct than if you just write whatever you're thinking.
1: Right. So for our listeners that perhaps— don't understand the idea of keyword outline. You start with unit one and two, you start with a source text, and from every sentence in that short source text, you choose three key words, copy that onto another piece of paper, and then you retell that source text without using the source text, just using your keyword outline. So you're 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 starting with something You've created a keyword outline, you're now practicing saying it out loud, and now you're rewriting it. So you're not just coming up with something from your brain, right. which for a nine-year-old boy whose English is his first language, it's hard enough. Yes. For a child who is trying to learn a second language, wow, that could be really chaotic.
0: Right. So that that's one step removed from copying the whole sentence. Right. Now you're reading the sentence and just copying three words.
1: Do you know, I don't think I've ever told you this, in my 10th grade English class— My English teacher had us do copy work. Every day she had on her chalkboard about 10 or so sayings that we would copy at the beginning of every class. And she would grade us on that.
0: She must have been 70 years old at the time. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's an old, old tradition. Mm -hmm. And, yes, some teachers understood the value and carried Mm -hmm. it on. Others never learned that themselves in school, and they didn't really – Learn about the value of that, yeah. say in in a teacher training program.
1: So you're never too old for copy work.
0: But but I wanted to <laughs> tell you that the the interesting relationship mm. between doing the keyword outline and telling it back, yes, and improved reading comprehension.
2: Oh, so
0: because of my experience with these Alaskan school districts back in the '90s, mm-hmm. um, late '90s. I was asked by the superintendent of public instruction for the state of Alaska to join a team of reading experts and help create a course for all teachers in Alaska to teach all students to read better. Mm. And uh, this is a very ambitious project. He had the support of the governor and funding and all that. So we met in Phoenix.
1: Every time I hear that, it cracks me up because well, <laughs> that makes sense. It makes sense that
0: maybe the couple Alaskans wanted to go somewhere warm. <laughs> um, it's also a convenient place. Sure. And these, the room, I don't know, there's about a dozen people, all of whom had PhDs except me. I was completely out of my league, and they were starting to plan this course mm-hmm. that was going to teach – all the elements of how to teach reading Mm -hmm. and create a video course that would be then free and available to every teacher in Alaska. And at the first break, I I said to him, I said, Roger, I don't belong here. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Uh, These people are using words I've never heard before. (laughs) I am out of my league. Mm -hmm. And I don't want you to have an expense for me because I don't think I have much to contribute. He said, no. You have the missing piece Mm -hmm. because what we've seen with Chugach and a couple of their school districts is that this making a keyword outline, just that, improves reading comprehension. Interesting. And I had kind of heard that from other people, and so I I acknowledge that. And I did stay on the team, and I did contribute four hours of video and a demonstration Mm -hmm. class. And then kind of the sad epilogue is, you know— The government changed. That governor was gone. The superintendent left. The new guy came in. The teachers union hated the idea and the whole project was canned and shelved. Mm. It still exists, but (laughs) nevertheless. But that I've thought about that a lot. You see, kids can sometimes kind of watch words go by. And you say, well, did you read it? Yeah. What did it say? I don't know. Well, did you actually read it? Yeah. So what did it say? I don't know. Well, did you really read it? I mean, you could go on like that forever. But when you have to read a sentence and stop Mm -hmm. and then ask yourself the question, which are the key words in the sentence? Which are the most useful three key words to help transfer that idea? It's a completely different way of interacting with the text. Mm -hmm. It's called thinking,
1: right? (laughs) Right, exactly. And
0: and what do we want? We want our kids to be able to read and think Mm. about what they're reading. Right. So uh, this has application, you know, to every population, whether it's second language learners, whether it's low language Mm -hmm. learners like they have in Alaska, Mm -hmm. whether it's um, younger learners, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, kids with special needs, mm-hmm. uh, dyslexia, ADD, uh, spectrum stuff, mm-hmm. it's it's forcing that interaction with the text in a way I don't know there's anything else out there mm-hmm. that does that. Mm-hmm. So just doing unit one is huge. But when you take it into unit two and you then start writing sentences,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's when the ESL teachers and ELL Teachers are so amazed at the quality of what the students can do compared to what they're doing when they're just trying to, you know, look at pictures and describe something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a very enjoyable application of this teaching Latin. Okay. So, you know, I taught Latin Mm -hmm. for seven years. Wow. Yeah. And there wasn't a whole lot of Latin composition included in the materials the, you know the texts we were using mm-hmm. in fact it was it was a grammar first approach it was mostly about reading and we would we did a little bit of you know memorized talking but not much the the goal was reading but i wanted to see about writing and so i thought okay let's do this let's get an Aesop fable let's make a keyword outline let's be sure they have the vocabulary for all the keywords and then let's try to rewrite the fable right in Latin so it was a cross translation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and because you know it came from structure it was easy so much easier to put it back into mm-hmm. the structure
1: yep yep love that
0: so, yeah, application. I've had Spanish teachers teaching in high school Spanish mm-hmm. say that, yeah, they started having their kids make keyword outlines from some of the readings in the textbook and then writing uh, in Spanish and getting much better quality composition.
1: That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So a lot lot can be done.
1: A lot can be done. So you mentioned Unit 1 in particular and Unit 2. This One of my questions that I w- just wanted to camp here for just a second Mm-hmm. Any suggestions on how to best accommodate an ESL student? Just slow the progression of new items introduced? We kind of touched on that. Can you just elaborate a little bit more? Would a teacher who has students who are English language learners exclusively, maybe it's a one-on-one situation, maybe it's a, a small class of English language learners, how could he or she adjust the curriculum of, say, one of our theme-based books or one of our video courses?
0: Well, yes, Uh One thing I would guess necessary for success would be even more tight modeling Mm -hmm. and doing things together. Exactly, yep. Uh, Rather than, you know, in in my class, if all the kids' English is pretty easy for them, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll do it together once, maybe twice, and then I'll say, okay, now I think you got the hang of it. Try this on your own. Uh, With an EL, ESL kind of class, you probably would want to do it many, many times, mm-hmm. you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, I mm-hmm. don't know, together all the way, and they're just basically copying what's going on the board and walking through that process before you would say, okay, I think you got the hang of it, try try a bit of this on your own, and I'm here to help. Right. The other thing that question kind of leads to, I think, is also the style techniques, mm-hmm. because uh, one of the very great side effects of learning the dress-ups is it improves your competence with parts of speech. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've told the story many times when I'll I'll meet a child who come into my class and they've been through, you know, three years of blah blah grammar, still can't find the verb in their own sentence. As soon as you start working with strong verb, quality adjective, adverb we do first, Mm -hmm immediately it it just requires that attentiveness mm-hmm. to the parts of speech plus yep. we have the word list yep. so yep. the ones on this on this list are all adjectives the one on this list are all verbs right and of course that's one of the most confusing things about english is because it's not an inflected language mm-hmm. one word without changing at all could operate as three different parts of speech mm-hmm. so that that's frustrating mm-hmm. to english learners so we're we're organizing and then modeling tightly. Of course, the use of clauses is one of the harder things mm-hmm. about learning a foreign language. Mm-hmm. That idea of dependent clause and nesting and then how prepositional phrases mm-hmm. fit in. Yep. Those are all embedded in our style techniques. Right. And, of course, the very best way to learn is to do. And But, again, probably more modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I recall having a conversation with someone who was looking at our program they were uh, it was a spanish was her mm-hmm. primary language and i was curious about this who which clause and how it goes into spanish because it seems like that was one of the harder things for the the spanish speaking kids to do mm. correctly because mm-hmm. they didn't have a sense that it was okay that's not a complete sentence mm. an english speaker would get it mm-hmm. but a spanish speaker wouldn't and she said, well, you know, we do that and and we could read that, but we don't really talk that way. I see. Right. And so that would be an example. You don't want to give up, of course, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that would be an example where a lot more modeling right. of that particular technique that dependent adjective clause using who or which mm-hmm. just again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. You know, independence, being able to do something confidently and hopefully correctly, is just based on a critical mass of experience.
1: Right. If she's got, you know, a couple of English language learners in a group of kids, it would just be modifying that checklist. exactly And getting rid of the who, which clause and just focus on the L-Y until until they're... (laughs) Yeah, and that's easy. And
0: then just, you know, having a little more time to have a little more examples and just doing it together a little more uh, is going to make a big difference.
1: I, I have to give a plug right here for our Teaching, Writing, Structure, and Style Teacher training course. I mean, it's almost like why should we plug this? Because a lot of people have found that I E W works so well for all types. Like we we talked about at the beginning of last week's podcast, why is it so great for gifted students? Why is it so great for you know those who have special needs? Why is it so great for English? You know, and the the truth is, it's what you said. It's the teacher. The teacher knows it, and to know how to teach IEW, you need the teacher training course. You can't just teach out of the student materials.
0: We should mention that we do have Spanish subtitles.
1: And I was gonna mention that, Um, but here we go. For
0: for the teaching, writing, structure, and style. Yes. We don't have it for all of the other videos, and certainly not the new student videos, but we do have that, and we also have the salient parts of the seminar workbook uh, translated. Into Spanish.
1: And that's available to our premium members. And, and it is? Yes. Okay, good.
0: So they can just find it? Yep. Or, it,
1: if you yeah. are a premium member, it is one of the PDF files that you can download mm-hmm. as a part of your premium membership for the Teaching, Writing, Structure, and Style video course. And the reason why we have the Spanish subtitle, so there you are, speaking and teaching English composition, but your words are translated in Spanish, that is for our teachers who are wanting to teach English composition to their students, but maybe English is not their first language, mm-hmm. they can read it in Spanish and at least right. comprehend or, it.
0: Or for people who want to teach Spanish composition. So they want to find or create source text in Spanish, make keyword outlines in Spanish, and then rewrite in Spanish. We also, and I don't know if there's anyone out there who is interested at all, But we have the seminar workbook translated into Russian. Yes, we do. We don't have subtitles on the video in Russian. uh, But our Russian homeschooling friends Mm -hmm. over there did half day with me Mm -hmm. where I spoke in English and she reset it and interpreted right into Russian. And they've got that video Mm -hmm. as a part of it. And uh, from what I understand, it's going very well. And they're, of course, primarily teaching in Russian Russian. Russian composition. Composition. Right. Using our kind of structure and style classical-ish model.
1: So here's the question then. Does this method work for another language too?
0: Yeah. Well, I think we answered that already because I used it teaching Latin. Yes. I have met, like I said, high school Spanish teachers Mm -hmm. teaching, you know, American kids trying to learn Spanish. Spanish composition. Yep. We know our Russian friends yep. are using in Russian. Yep. So really, if you can learn the system, I should think you would be able to apply it to any language.
1: Right. All right, just a couple more questions here. English is my second language. I was wondering how I could be a great writer. So this is an adult who wants to self-teach themselves English composition. What do you recommend? Well,
0: a lot of the things we already talked about, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, poetry memorization or excerpts from famous speeches, yep. even excerpts from not-so-famous speeches, but that memorizing language is just going to be a continuous aid mm-hmm. to fluency, to confidence, to vocabulary development, everything else. Right. We also know today there are technological aids, mm-hmm. if you will, that I think must be very useful for English language learners, something mm-hmm. like Grammarly. Mm-hmm. Where you can you know write something, type it, and then it will, you know, kind of prompt you to say, "Is this what you really want?" Right. Or you should probably have you know right. this here, or uh, this spelling is not likely. So, just the use of artificial intelligence right now is really quite remarkable.
1: Right. You mentioned Grammarly. I've got to give a plug for our Fixit Grammar, because so many teachers that I personally know are using this to teach English language learners. Oh. Because it's simple enough for them to understand the stories mm-hmm. while they're identifying parts of speech, while they're learning grammatical uh, constructions like you mentioned, that who, which clause. And, and the
0: vocabulary And there's vocabulary in their vocabulary. constant, to, to, too. Yeah. You know, that's kind of nice to be able to see, oh, this is how I would have written or said this, and here's a probable way that it can be better. You know, I, I often say to my students, just turn off Microsoft Word's grammar checker mm-hmm. and write because it, it is narrowing in mm-hmm. it the way it wants you to do stuff. Right. But if English is not your first language and you don't have a good sense of how it should or should not be – Then that can be very helpful as well. Right. The other thing is just the availability of closed captions. Mm, Yes. uh, So that you can not just listen to, say, a TED talk, but listen and read at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for an adult learner, I should think that would be very helpful as well. And then probably the most important thing is just consistency in practice. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to get good, you've got to allocate time for mm-hmm. that purpose.
1: Yep. Okay, I have one last question, and this is for the teacher whose English is not their first language. So she says, English is not my first language. Can I still teach your writing curriculum to my son?
0: I'd say the answer is yes, especially if you go with our video. Yes, uh, exactly. you know, I think using our Structure and Style for Students courses mm-hmm. uh, is a great option for parents who want to teach the curriculum in English, but they are not confident to just do all that using the theme-based book or whatnot, and then supplementing that by maybe having a native speaker friend who could be the student's editor. Mm -hmm. As you know, I tell the kids in the first day of class, your first assignment is go hire an editor. I'm not it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to edit all these papers. It would drive me crazy, Mm -hmm. and I'd give up.
1: I think you do that the second or third week, depending on the age of the kids. (laughs) Okay.
0: But I do it pretty early in the game. Yes, you do. So then they go and hire an editor. Now, in most cases, you know, they'll pick a parent. Mm -hmm. But there's no rule that says the parent couldn't find a neighbor, a friend, or someone else, part of your school or your co-op, that could provide that service of editing Mm -hmm. for the student in the class and then you'd be i think pretty safe to just do it.
1: Yep, exactly, especially if the parent right along with the student did those assignments with them. I think that'd be that'd be super in it. And yes, hiring someone to be an editor, but if you were actually looking for someone to provide grading, not grading in the terms of a letter grade, but someone to evaluate the writing and does it meet up and you're not comfortable doing that because English is not your first language. Our website has a list of accredited instructors at IEW.com slash IC, link in the show notes. And some of these instructors will do paper grading. Mm -hmm. And so parents, you can just scan those papers in, email them to someone, and, you know, for a small fee, they'll review that paper. And that way you can get some good feedback for your own children who want to learn English composition, and you're not entirely comfortable and giving them that fee. A lot
0: of those people, for not as small of a fee, actually teach online classes, too. This is true. So that's we, we teach online classes, don't we? We do teach
1: yeah. online classes, but we can't plug those because they're awful. Oh. They're awful? <laughs> they're all full. Oh, I thought you said they're awful. <laughs> they're wonderful. Oh, and, they're wonderful, so which if, is why they're
0: all full. full.
1: Yes. And so you actually are interested in getting enrolled in IEW's online class, mark April 1st, no fooling, on your calendar, because that's when we open registration for the following school year. For the following school year. Yeah, and okay. we fill it pretty quickly. So anyway, Andrew, this has been super helpful. You are a wealth of knowledge to so many people, and now to those who need help learning English composition, because English is not their first language.
0: And there's a lot of people in the world who want to learn English.
1: That's true, that's true.
0: I heard there's more people studying English in China than there are people who speak English in England.
1: That's <laughs> ironically true. Okay, so you have to end with this, this joke that you can say much better than me. I'll start it and then you actually say the joke. Uh-huh. What do you call someone who can speak three languages? Okay, go ahead.
0: Oh, yeah, what do you call someone who can speak three languages?
1: Well, trilingual.
0: How about two languages? Bilingual. How about one language? An American. An American, (laughs) yes.
1: Sad, but true. (laughs) Thank you, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.